Vital Educators podcast is hosted by self-development coach, investor, and renowned educator, Ahmed Saqib. Ahmed will speak to fellow educators, young professionals, ordinary people like you and me about their life choices that allowed them to become successful in their careers. He will also delve deeper into the psychology and their perception of success, the good, bad, and the ugly. For young students, he will discuss techniques to help you with your learning and development. Ahmed is committed to helping you determine what you want to do in life. He will share his own life experiences of self-discovery and self-realization that has led him to launch this venture. So this podcast is for anyone who wants to know more about various paths to becoming successful in any profession or passion. Hi guys, Ahmed here from Vital Educators. So today I have someone, uh, I would say unique in every sense of the word, unique, I would say, because she is uh, she has built her life challenging stereotypes from one one aspect to another aspect. So uh, she was a pageant girl who became a scientist, then a meteorologist. And uh, now she, uh, obviously she has graduated in STEM fields. And every single time she is a huge advocate of talking about gender equality and gender uh, equity, uh, as it were, from her words. Uh, Ashley Gann, thank you very much for coming. Welcome to Vital Educators. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be a part of the show. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, so for those of us who don't understand, and I include myself in this as well, what is gender equity? Great question. So let me give you some background, uh, and then that will maybe help clarify kind of where we are. So I, as a broadcast meteorologist, I've spent the last 15 years of my life being a motivational speaker, especially for young girls, encouraging them to get into STEM. There's so much opportunity in the STEM world, whether, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, And then something struck me and I realized I looked in the mirror one day and said, I'm only one of 8% of female chief meteorologists in the entire United States. So here I am being a champion for young people and especially young girls to go into these careers. But then I say, but there aren't a lot of women in these careers as you look later down the timeline. So then it made me take pause and I thought, okay, what are we doing? What, wh- where's the gap? And I realized that companies were not really well equipped to retain women and they would mm. fall back on, well, they're just starting a family. That's why they're leaving. But when we started to do some focus groups and studies, we actually found that most women begin to leave the corporate world and especially in the STEM sciences, STEM careers because of culture has nothing to do with just that the fact that they had a family that could be a byproduct, but in large, it was culture. So Mm. we ended up seeing that we had a problem defining companies as being attractive for these young young girls coming out of college and also being able to retain them. And Mm. of the 100 women that graduate college with a STEM degree, only three of them, three of the 100 are actually still doing a STEM career 10 years later. Wow. So, right. And so I started to really peel back the layers of the onion, as we say, and dive in deeper. And what I found is that companies are structured based on the model of equality. Mm. Great concept. Nothing wrong with the concept, 
But the way that we have gotten to that term equality is a little skewed. And I will use an example on my part. So mm. there are times when I have to represent my company offsite, outside of normal work hours. At one season, I was um, a, a mom. I had a baby at home that I was a caretaker for, and it prevented me from taking the normal protocol, which would be going to my office, getting a company vehicle, then taking that company vehicle and attending the, the work function. So what mm. I would do is I would expense or attempt to expense my mileage. Well, I was told mm. no. I was declined that opportunity because that wasn't equal, because not everybody else had that opportunity. And I said, well, mm. I don't think anybody else is taking care of a child at home either. So, you know, um, so that really made me think about, you know, the equality piece is good, but mm. can it be better? And that's where the word equity comes into play. And what's mm. interesting about equity, if you Google, what is equity, even Google, progressive Google will think mm -hmm. that you misspelled the word and it will actually offer you, did you mean equality? And Whoa. so even Google uh, has a hard time understanding equity. And here's what <laughs> equity is. Equity is looking at everybody's unique circumstances and giving them the exact tools that they need to be successful. Hmm. So if businesses all have one goal, let's say that end goal is productivity or profitability or a high level of excellence. If we all have that same end goal in mind, the way that each employee may need to be equipped to get there may look a little different. So mm. maybe quality then becomes that excellence piece, you know, making sure we treat people equally, yes, but what we do is we equip them a little bit differently. Mm. I use this analogy, and this is a good picture. I usually show this when I'm giving presentations. Uh, and, and it's a good example because I'm very short. I'm five foot two and my husband's very tall. He's six foot six. <laughs> Um, so imagine if you have three people standing at a fence and they're trying to look mm. over the fence to watch a baseball game. Well, you've got my mm. husband who can see over the fence. Maybe you've got someone of average height. Let's call mm -hmm. him five, seven, five, eight. And then you've mm -hmm. got short old me, five, two over there. Well, mm -hmm. in the world of equality, you say, okay, well, everybody to elevate them needs the exact same size box. Well, that box is going to elevate my husband, who's six foot six, even more. He can already see, but now he can see more. The average mm. person can now see over the fence when maybe they could barely see before. But for me, I still can't see over the fence. But we've all been equally given the exact same size box. So then, you know, in a corporate world, well, why didn't it work? We all gave you the equal, equal resource, but equal mm. resources don't work. What we really needed to do is like my husband, he didn't need a box. Maybe the average person still needed one, but maybe I needed two boxes to get me over that fence to see that baseball mm. game. So mm. it's looking at equity as what are the resources that that person needs so that we all get everybody to the same level. So the mm. equality is getting everybody on the same eyesight, but how mm. we get them there is identifying each of their situations differently. Brilliant, brilliant. So let's use that box analogy and uh, put that into the corporate world, into the STEM world, for example. Yeah. So s say a lady like you, a young version of As Ashley, let's say a 15, 16, or even a 20, 23, 24 year old version of Ashley comes into the workspace for the very first time. What kind of things do you think from equity wise, we need to provide her to make sure that she excels and thrives in that society, in that culture? Great question. So I think this comes from trust in your managers. 
So mm. there needs to be kind of an understanding when you walk in the front door. And I actually talk about this as from onboarding to promotion to upper level management. So we need mm. to kind of reorganize our entire management mindset so mm. that when we are recruiting those people right out of college, that we're saying we have an environment here of trust. Our culture is one that is built on trust. Trust is huge, and especially hmm. for women, because women are naturally very competitive. Um, women are also naturally very uh, critical of themselves. So if we have an environment whereby women feel that they can trust to tell their you know, concerns, their, uh, you know, their, their situations with their managers, that opens up an entire stream of communication that has not existed previously. Often in mm. corporate America, and, and I grew up with a mom, she's a CIO of a major company. She works for cyberspace industry wow. now and helps with young tech startups. But even for her, um, breaking those glass ceilings early on, there were just a lot of things you were taught as a woman. You just don't bring that up at work. That's something that you don't talk about and we don't address. But the reality is for women, we can't separate necessarily being wives or moms. We can't separate mm. being caretakers for our parents. And then mm. we walk into the door and we pretend that that stuff doesn't exist. Yep, so I yep. think trust is a huge component. And the way that we do that is I think managers need to understand the, the importance of really getting to know your staff and your employees. Because when mm. you get to know them, it builds a certain trust with them. And that trust creates um, in that in that employee uh, a dedication to your mm. not only you as a manager, but the company as a whole. And it also has statistically proven that those people tend to stay longer as well. So it also helps with retention. True. So I think trust is one of the key elements there. Hmm. Wow. Excellent. So uh, so that's one of the things that companies can work on and should work on to make sure that they do that. So let me ask you another question. Now, while you were talking about uh, gender equity, um, there's a guy, I don't know whether you know who, uh, is a professor of psychology uh, in Canada. His name's Jordan Peterson. I don't know whether you've heard of him. I have he... not. I need to check him out. Uh, okay. Uh, he says that, he, according to his research, when men and women were given free choice to pick uh, STEM fields or uh, sociology or more uh, like a, a like a literature type fields, mm -hmm. women tend to always gravitate towards those type of fields versus STEM fields, uh, naturally, even so he, he gives an example of Scandinavia, where the society is not as patriarchal as as say the US or the UK or anywhere in the rest of the world. And he right. says women will still, women are still not going to a STEM fields. Why do you think that is, if you even believe that to be true? And do you think that's because of the culture and because we don't encourage women um, as a society, we, I, 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 I would say America and UK is very similar in that regard. As a society, don't um, uh, um, welcome women in, the, in those type of fields. Would you agree with that statement or not? So here's what I will say. I think from the outside looking in, it can be very mm. intimidating. So mm. for me, I my background is in aerospace engineering, and I was right. often the only female in a lot of my classes at my mm. university. And that's intimidating. But for me, I'm also a little different in that it also is my driver. So I was like, mm. if I'm going to be the only female, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well. <laughs> There's a part of pride in me. Uh, but that's part of my personality, right? Mm. Uh, but in saying that, I do feel like industry 
as a stereotype, and I talk a lot about overcoming stereotypes and challenges, Hmm. the STEM industry as a whole has never really reflected a feminine side. And it has mm. never even come across as something where women are welcome. Not that they're not welcome. It's just that mm. when you look at pictures in the past of like, let's say astronauts or even physicists or chemists, they're generally in lab coats and goggles and they're predominantly yep. male. Mm. So this is very hard for young girls to see themselves in those positions. Have mm. a fascinating little fact for you. I was a judge at a mm. science fair recently, and nice. one young girl actually did a study. She took, she was uh, in fifth grade. This is her fifth grade science fair project. And she mm-hmm. went to the lower elementary school and she gave the children in the class a piece of paper and crayons. And then she listed out professions and she wanted each child to draw the profession. So mm. she would say, draw a nurse, draw a doctor, draw a mm. firefighter, a police officer, a mm. scientist. Well, as you can imagine, they had gender stereotypes, even Mm. at a very young age. And like the doctors, she said like 95%, they drew them as men. Um, The nurses, 95% were women, you know? Um, So I think it's even having these conversations as early as, as childhood, as early elementary school to start debunking those stereotypes. And I think also... Uh, providing the insight. So a lot of women tend to be creative, let's say, you know, like I'm, I'm very creative. I like the arts. Um, and mm-hmm. actually science I have found has a lot of creativity to it, but we don't mm-hmm. always teach that. We think it's more uh, analytical minded math, coding, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all very, very just uh, rigid, uh, rigid sciences. Um, but there is some beauty and there's art to that. I think there's art in math. And so I think kind of pulling those pieces apart again, when young girls are young and helping them understand that there is creativity to science, I think mm. that can help pull them because I think that's why women, especially in this other study that you mentioned, tend to go to more towards those liberal arts types mm. categories is because it does satisfy kind of that yearning and that enlightenment inside of a woman's mind. But those things do exist in STEM industries. I just don't know if we've done a great job of um, exposing that because think about this, to build a rocket to go into space takes mm. an insane amount of creativity you're to put right. together a spacesuit that takes an amazing amount of creativity because you're mm-hmm. thinking about something that's never been created before. Like, how cool is that? So mm. I think if we really became champions of the creativity and the, the artistic side of science, I think mm. that could draw more girls and, and young ladies into those STEM professions. Fantastic. Wow. You're absolutely right. Um, so so the what I gather from what you've just said is that it's not just um, the corporate world that is responsible for uh, creating these stereotypes or, or for women going into certain areas of profession. It's more to do with when they're growing up, how are they being how they are being perceived by the society itself and how what kind of uh, stereotypes that we as a society are 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 throwing at them in a sense uh, yeah. and and what are they relating to so as a society we need to actually change as well as of course the stem field and the companies that work within the stem field also need to change the company culture needs to change so what kind of change what kind of the most basic change that we need to start with to make sure say in 20 years time and 30 years time women don't have a certain uh, a certain career that they think that they are suited for 
Right. So this, so I'm going to start very young. So this is even like in in parents. So if you've got parents that are listening or grandparents or aunts or Mm -hmm. uncles, um, one thing that I recommend are getting books that Mm -hmm. show people that look different than your kids and are in different professions. I have an example. There's this book called Her Story. It's about famous women throughout history that have been change makers. Um, I've got two girls and a boy myself, but it's something that I read to my boy and my girls. So it inspires my girls, but it also shows my young boy that he, um, he can, he can see women as powerful in society. So it gives Mm. him that perspective that women are great forces in our history. Um, but it Mm. also shows my girls that look, this is something I can be when I grow up. And it has characters like uh, Rosa Parks to Joan of Arc and, you know, Mm. it's great. Um, and then there's other books. Amazon's full of great books. So I have other ones where it is, uh, one is a female pilot and it talks about this story and it's a kid's book and it and it's a female pilot for an airplane. And it talks about how she goes through all of her airplane checks. But again, it's giving that perception that a pilot doesn't just have to be a man. It can be a woman. And hmm. so I would start there. So in a parenting world, those are great gifts to get. Try to think outside the box when you're looking at books that you're getting your young kids and Mm. make sure that you're cross-referencing gender and race and all that you're doing for your young children because you want to make sure they grow up in a world that they know that they, that people are going to look different than them no matter where they go in gender and in the color of their skin. And I think that's important. Um, So that's just very early on, just getting that ingrained in your child's mind. As we move into kind of the corporate world, you know, how do we do that? One of the things, so this is the university that I attended. I think that they're doing a remarkable job in their recruitment process. It's not something they did when I was Mm. a freshman, but it's something we're doing now. (laughs) So when I attended university, it was one of those hard-nosed, you look to the left, you look to the right. They said, two of you won't be here at graduation. So you're kind of thinking, oh no. (laughs) You know, so, and I went, I mean, it was, it was hard. It was like, it it was a lot, uh, I was a lot more based on failure of success than success of your success. Um, and so mm. it was just, it was a challenge. It was a good challenge. But it was a challenge. Um, but what they found is that they weren't retaining women. And so from the start of the curriculum to the end, that they were losing a lot of women out of the engineering program at my particular mm. university. And they said, how can we change mm. this? So they've started a new program where they actually separate the men and the women, the the young men and the young ladies on day one at an orientation. And they speak to the parents and they say, hey, um, to the parents of the females, your daughter is going to call you in a semester and tell you she wants to quit. Don't let her quit. So they've gotten a lot of parent involvement. And to their point, they say, she's going to get her first C. She probably graduated high school, close to valedictorian or nearly a straight A student. And this is going to be her first C. But let me tell you this, the guys are getting the same grades, but they're thinking C for complete. Yes. Go, you know, so the girl, Guy celebrating, <laughs> thinking that the guys got an A, but they got the same grade as the girls, but the girls tend to be harder on themselves. Mm. So the university I mm. go to now has really um, incorporated more of an involvement with the parents as well to help retain mm. those girls through the collegiate process. And they have seen the retention rate skyrocket. So now they're seeing much more women who start the program actually see it through fruition, which is amazing. So that's the next step is getting universities on board to understand this inclusion piece and that how, how we talk to young ladies about sticking with something maybe a little bit different than how we talk to guys. Again, a guy passes, he's, Mm. he's pumped. A girl 
thought she's a failure, you know, but they got the same grade. It's just how we perceive that. And then I think that bleeds into the corporate world too. I'm not suggesting that women need handholding, um, but I do think that having some processes and procedures in place that one, cultivate that culture of trust is really important because a woman needs to be able to come in and be able to trust that to tell her uh, employ like her manager, you know, maybe I've got a sick child at home. Can I take the day off and not feel like that's mm. going to affect her job performance? So that trust element mm. is what's really key there as far as how we um, kind of take that from you know, childhood through college and then back into the corporate workplace. And uh, to be honest with you, um, you say that uh, Dr. Um, I forgot Jordan Peterson. That's the one. Doctor Doctor Jordan Peterson also talked about this as well. He said that one of the things that he noticed was women weren't uh, vocal about how they feel at work, and because they weren't vocal about how they feel, feel felt at work, they were less likely to ask for a raise as yep. well. And uh, he, he he pointed out to the point where the because the reason there is a gender pay gap, uh, not, obviously there are several reasons, but says one of the reasons is because women don't ask for a raise itself anyway because they. Uh, think that they are perceived as i won't say lesser citizens or are they're perceived as not being um not as uh what's the uh, uh not not very resistive they're a lot more agreeable right. so therefore they, they 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 they're very quiet and and they don't want to uh and it's, it's again you're right it all comes down to their perception and uh and how do they challenge the norm uh, and the question that I have for you based on that is how do you become this person to constantly challenge the norm? You've done this time and time again, from the pageanting to the meteorologist to the to the mother that you are today, to the advocate of uh, uh, of gender equity uh, in your own terms. How do you become this person? Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if some of it's genetics in my upbringing. Uh, my <laughs> my mom was a very successful businesswoman. And, uh, but nice. even in my journey, my, my father was not college educated. My grandmother was an orphan. My great grandfather was an alcoholic. So, I mean, there's no reason statistically wow. that I should be a success, you know, looking at paper, mm. I should fall somewhere in, uh, in somewhere else, you know, but I think my mom really kind of said, this is not, I'm, I'm not going to let you be a statistic. She, she was a single parent for a large part of my childhood. Mm. Uh, she didn't remarried. And, uh, but, but I think watching her, I think I really learned how to be resilient. And so I think having that now, if you are a parent and you're saying, well, I'm not a CIO, I don't, I'm, I don't work. I decided to stay at home, you know, um, I would say finding your child mentors, finding someone to mentor you is huge. That was something that was really key for me. It's hard, especially as a female, mm. because there aren't always a lot of female mentors. That's what I was yeah. asking. Uh, were they actually female? No. So some of mine were not. Wow. Uh, most of mine actually were not until recently. I, I've kind of become more of a mentor to young girls than I've ever really mm. had a mentor that was a female. And, uh, but in saying that I started to look at the characteristics, even in men that I really admired. And I thought I can do that. Now I will say I've always struggled with the value proposition. Yes. There's some glass ceilings mm. that I have broken. There are stereotypes that I've challenged, but I've always wrestled with the value proposition and I can get that. I can totally relate because sometimes I would just be agreeable. And even though I would go in fully confident of my value, but then they would give me a lower number. I would generally just say, okay, 
at least it's a job. Or women sometimes say, well, I just need to be thankful I have a job. You know, um, I've gotten better with that mm. in time. So that has helped. But um, I will say that was probably one of my biggest internal challenges early on is knowing my value proposition. So I can, I can relate mm. to that wholeheartedly. But I think finding mentors is really key. But I also think that there's a lot more programs that exist today than even five or 10 years ago that are mentor-mentee type programs. And so if you can find mm. a mentor-mentee program, it's super, super helpful. And then if there are any professions that you or your child is interested in, have them start learning about that early on. Either shadow somebody that's doing it, find someone that can just mm. be a point of contact. Here's what's crazy is people who are professionals actually love, I, I, I'll speak for myself. I love when people are interested mm. in being becoming meteorologists. And I like taking people under my wing and helping them understand the, um, the academic rigors of it, the, the challenges I face, mm -hmm. but also helping them because some days they'll wake up and say, ah, this isn't really for me, but it's better to learn it before you've spent all the money on college or even if once you've gotten mm. into the professional world to learn it then versus learning it early on. So the earlier you can kind of get an idea of what goes into the career that you think you may want, things may surprise you, good or bad. And I think it helps to um, head, head you down that road. But I think a mentor-mentee mentor type program are really, really beneficial. Wow. Amazing. So, uh, so um, how are you still working as a meteorologist right now or uh, have you left that field? And did you leave, if you have left, did you leave to do this, that what you are doing right now, which is raising awareness for gender equity? So I'm a full-time meteorologist. I'm the chief meteorologist at a CBS station in Birmingham, oh, Alabama. And nice. I was actually the first female chief in the state and currently the only female chief meteorologist in the state of Alabama. Wow. And uh, that's also a big part of my story as far as kind of getting to where I am. I'm in a, a challenging weather market. We have a lot of severe weather and I'm up against people that have been in this market for uh for a time longer than my ages. So we'll mm. just say they, they are very, uh, uh, they have solidified their mm. name equity in this market. So there's a lot of, a lot of challenges there, but it's been a great, a great opportunity for me to learn and refine my skill. But through my story, kind of getting to where I am, mm. I realized that my story can help other people. So over mm. the last couple of years, I've been sharing my story of gender equity and again, it really started as me being a cheerleader for young people to get into STEM. Mm. But then it was that pivot point where I realized, but if companies aren't doing their part to retain them, then I don't want to be a fraud and a fraudulent motivational speaker. Uh, but True. I want to help companies really kind of understand we've got to work on the retention and attraction piece. And then I can kind of go back to being that motivational speaker for the young people, which I still do that hand in hand, but I've really mm. kind of turned my heart and pouring my energy into helping companies understand what equity is and how mm. equity is what really gets us to equality. Mm. And how did your company, specifically the station that you work for, allowed you to become or be in the position that you are? What kind of things that they did that that made sure that you become the person that you are today and become an advocate for women equity in STEM subjects, basically in STEM fields? 
Yeah. So some of it's just, I've done on my own. Uh, I mean, I mm. have it with their support, of course. Uh, but I, I see them as almost two separate silos. But what <laughs> I, uh, one of the things that I've leveraged with them is that this is really kind of my thought leadership. So even though I'm, I'm a meteorologist, I say by night, uh, by day, mm-hmm. I'm a mother and I'm a thought advocate in the gender equity space. So they fully supported this conversation. They know that it's a necessary topic. And uh, I, I go back to them and I tell them all of the things that I do, you know, every podcast that I'm on, every public appearance that I make. So they actually keep a list and they send it back to their corporate office every month of the things that I'm doing. Now, mm. I don't get a lot of kudos and praise and accolades from them, but what <laughs> I think is happening is I think that they are seeing that that people really want to hear this conversation and they know mm. that I'm a part of their company. So I think for mm. them, they they are excited that I get to do it and that I'm representing the company well, talking about an idea that's that's really needed. So um, so I, I get their support from from that standpoint. But if anybody wants to teach me about how to go to the boss and, and pitch my value proposition, I, I'm, I'm all ears because, again, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I love my job. And that's the thing. It's like, you could just give me a Snickers bar. And early on, I'm like, okay, give me two Snickers bars. We're fine. And like, oh, wait, but I got to pay my mortgage and I can't pay that with a Snickers mm. bar. So. Wow. Talk about talk to me about chasing your dreams. I mean, like you rightly said, a lot of women uh, say that they want to become uh, this person, but because of gender stereotypes, they don't get to chase that. They don't. They don't want. They don't. They feel like they'll be objectified and they'll be the only one. And talk talk to me about being the only one in and and most of the time being surrounded by loads of men. Like, yeah. how did it make you feel? Like, what was what, what was going through your head in that time? Anyway, how would I get out of this? Like, I'd be really surprised. I'd be really scared. Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple of answers here, and Please. some are from the actual dynamics of where I've worked, and then some of the dynamics of what I've dealt with about being on on television as a as a personality and things I've had to to deal with from from hmm. people in the community. So starting hmm. with kind of my background, like I said, I was often the only female in some of my classes at my university, and um, you know, but again, that to me, some some days I'm just like, okay. I'm just going to do this. If I'm the only female here, I'm going to do this. And so it was pride (laughs) of the matter at that point. Um, But I always would find one or two people in the class that were generally very helpful. But even as a female, as funny as it may sound, but at 18, 19, 20, I I was a very modest, conservative young girl. Like I wasn't one to like, you know, I didn't have boyfriends, you know, all this stuff. And so I always had, I had caution and reservation, right? So it was like, even if I wanted to go to a study group and I was the only female, I was just very cautious. And I was like, well, I don't know if I need to go to your house and maybe we should do this in a public place. Like, you know, so that even as a female, like those are things you have to think about because sometimes you don't know the intention of someone like as pure as it may seem. And that may just seem like a study date. You're like, um, do do you have other intentions? I would just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, it's little things like that where, but it's also understanding, okay, if I got into this situation, a, how would I get out or B, how would I handle it? So it's some role playing. And, you know, so those are some ideas, especially in like a college age mindset. Um, but then that led me into my career where I did tend to be, one of just a very few females. And even in the state of Alabama, I'm trying to think, we don't have very many female meteorologists as is. So nationwide, I mean, there's there's probably a little north of 3,000 t- television meteorologists. Of that 3,000, only 25% are females. So like when mm. I go to a conference, I am 
oh, for example, we had a, a room of like two or 300 people one time. And, um, there was a lady doing a conversation, uh, a talk on gender equity. And she got all the women in the room to stand up. There were eight, eight of us out of the entire room. <laughs> and, um, how many in the room? Um, of almost 300. Wow. And there were only wow. eight women that were there. Mm. And she could name us all by name. I mean, it was that, 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 that. <laughs> uh, sort of a list of women in the room. She named us all by name when we stood up. And so, um, so there is that, that part too, where you just, uh, you just have to, um, understand that there is an understanding that like, I am going to be different and be okay with that. Mm. And I have made a lot of wonderful friends in the business, men and women. Um, but then there's also that, that balance, right? Because you do have to be careful when you start crossing gender lines on, mm. on relationship building and things like that, that are very different. Men can build different relationships with men than they can necessarily build with their female counterparts and out mm. of respect, you know? And, um, and so that, that can become a, a little bit of a challenge at times, especially when you're the only female and you're like, I just don't have any friends and all that. So maybe looking for other opportunities. I always tell women um, that are working, especially male-dominated friends, find a hobby outside of mm. work. Find something that you enjoy doing that brings you life and that mm. you have some friends or other people that are kind of like-minded like you doing that because it may, it will take a little bit of the friendship pressure off at work where you feel like, well, maybe I can't make all these friends at work. So that's another component to that. Mm. Um, and then it, it, as we kind of like fast forward, uh, kind of being the only female, um, I, I just think that there's there's also opportunities in your uniqueness to shine. So mm. I always try to encourage young girls to, um, to to use your uniqueness as a shining moment. Don't let mm. it be something, I use this quote, don't ever let anyone dull your sparkle. So just because you're the only, you feel like the only one in the room, don't try to hide in the corner. Uh, mm. Really let your gifts shine where you are. Wow. Wow. Brilliant. So uh, I guess uh, I know it's this kind of a repetitive question, but I, I want to just get you an uh, uh, aspect of uh, on this, uh, just a yes or no. Is it a lonely journey? It can be. It mm. very much can be. And I think that's why a lot of girls don't want to pursue that because they that's what like, I was thinking. Yeah. And but that's another reason why I say find a hobby and find things um so I'm a woman of faith. So I have found mm -hmm. my faith community. I get very involved in my faith community during the week. And we even have some women's groups that I attend. So that's where I can, my, my heart can come alive and I can just really be authentically me. Not that I'm not at work, but mm. I can let some of those guards down. And I think it's very healthy for women and men too, quite frankly, but women especially because men can find more of that community even at work. And if women can't necessarily find that female community that they're looking for or that friendship community, um, they can find that in their hobby or their areas of interest. Like I said, you know, whether it be a, a faith-based organization or whether it be a painting club or a book club, something that they can do. But I think that's so good for mental health and also just kind of general wellness to, to find that place. And then understanding that what you're doing at work, you're contributing to the success of that company, but what you're doing at home, you're contributing to the success of yourself. Okay. I, I generally have a question uh, that, uh, that, that I find it might be slightly difficult, um, but I'm still going to ask anyway. So uh, how about, uh, how, what about uh, if a woman turns around and say, says, okay, all the, uh, so is, uh, 
in order to grow in a in a, in a corporate environment, you need to um, you need to be in a circle. You need to you need to know people. You need to say that you knew the right people that would propel you to move forward in in a corporate environment. So um, if um, uh, and I can I can imagine it's harder for a woman to do that because if it's especially when the, the in, in especially in the STEM field, the corporate environment is actually built up of people who are mainly men. Yeah. Obviously, they will hang out with one another. They will spend more time with one another. Therefore, they'll get to know each other a lot more as well. Therefore, the chances of them being promoted over a woman would also increase as well. Um, so my question to you is, how does a woman crack that bunch? Um, and and, and, and it, it, does it mean that she would have to take on a lot of the masculine traits as well, like going out for a beer and just hanging out with them in a, in a, in a I guess, in an outside work environment? Would you, would you encourage that or would you, would you say, no, challenge that and don't do that whatsoever? What's your opinion on that? Um, one, I would challenge it and I would say, no, you don't ever have to do anything that you're not comfortable with. And that actually mm. gets back to a, another one of my pillars of equity. And I think that's how we need to start changing the corporate structure is some mm. of that trust is built by offsite gatherings. I think that we need to do more things that are inclusive. Like I don't play golf, right? But a lot of people go out on Friday. A lot of the men will go out on their Friday afternoons and play golf because that's the corporate mm. thing to do. But mm. what if instead of doing a golf gathering that's generally male dominated, what if we did something with the family cookout on a Friday night and you got to meet everybody's family? I think mm. that there's ways to change that narrative. And so I think that's a key pillar to equity as well in the workplace is what we're doing offsite because those offsite relationships do impact the onsite relationships. And if we're not mm. giving women a foot in that door, if we're not giving them access to that, we're really kind of leaving them out of that as well. So let's say that that doesn't change though, because that takes work. That takes mm. some real recognition from a company to say, okay, we're going to stop doing, and I'm just using the example, we're going to stop doing golf on a Friday and we're going to trade it for <laughs> a cookout. You know, um, let's say they, aren't, they don't do that. Uh, something I would encourage women to do, and this is what I encourage as uh, girls graduate college and they're going into their first, second jobs early on in their 20s, establish that they want to be leaders. What I did in my early 20s is I got very involved in the leadership community. Now, it wasn't in my place of business, but it was in my community. And they had leadership development opportunities. Most cities have them. Um, some type, you, you kind of apply for it and you get in and it may cost a couple thousand dollars. And then it's like a one-year intensive and you have monthly meetings and all of that. And, and they train you and coach you. So one of the things that I was able to leverage in my value is they may not have given me a raise, but they were able to pay for some leadership development classes. So that is an area that I do encourage women is to establish your want and your thirst for leadership because that at least gives your managers or your male employees the notification that, hey, she's taking her job seriously. She may be taking a different, different path to get there, but she's trying to put all those tools in her toolbox. And what I learned from those experiences to me were actually far more valuable than maybe what I could have built even internally at that company, because I was learning perspectives outside of my industry and from people that look different than I did and were in different levels of management. And it actually gave me an opportunity to see how I could influence my place of business better. So I think that's really, really important for women. One, establish very early on in those early conversations with your employer, hey, I'm here to do this job that you're hiring, before, hiring me for, but also know I would love the opportunity to move up here. And here's mm. what I think that can look like. 
or here are the mm. things I'm willing to get involved in to see myself get there. What do you think? And then at that point, let the hiring manager answer that question, you know? So that's how I think women can set themselves apart too. If they don't want to go grab a beer with the guys after work, I really don't think you have to do that. And, uh, you know, it's going to happen. It's just how we are. I would love to start seeing some sweeping changes in that and seeing much mm. more inclusive offsite meetings. That would be very valuable. Um, but you know, like I said, that takes time, but I think the very first thing, low hanging fruit, establish where you want to go in that first interview. And then also establish along the way, the leadership opportunities you may want to get involved in outside of your place of business that will help you grow as a leader. Wow invaluable but uh one of the things that you definitely mentioned is communication and uh, i think you're right that women need to become more vocal now that comes to from the from just by talking to you i i get the feeling and correct me if i'm wrong that you are uh, an extrovert and um and and, and you could see uh, and, and you can see that in 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 a normal workspace as well uh it's it's mixed with a lot of people who are introverts and extroverts and um how do you how do you um, encourage women who are introverted to become more vocal with their with, with what they want to achieve in their lives and where they want to go in a corporate world how do you do that because they have a certain personality type where they don't want to talk to different people where they don't want to intermingle with different people what kind of what kind of things do you would say that they should do rather than saying that oh we are not getting equal opportunities uh, there might be a reason as to they are not succeeding in a corporate environment. That's probably because they're not vocalizing what, what they, what, what they believe to be true, essentially. Right. What do you say to that? So I actually would take this and I would kind of use the equity explanation from a manager to employee to a staff hmm. standpoint. And I would say, this is where I think that leadership needs to really understand their work, their workers, their employees, because mm. the better that the managers understand those diversity issues, whether it be gender diversity, emotional diversity, personality diversity, you can plan things that are more inclusive or that, you know, sometimes it, it may be better suited for one group, but you're going to do something that suits the other group as well. Mm. So I think this even kind of gets back to equity and making those people feel included because I do think introvert or extrovert, I think that once you have that trust established, I think that that can propel conversations. And one of the things that I teach in my equity outline is the very first step to equity is to listen. Mm. And what I mean by listening is that as a manager, you're listening to your employee. You're listening mm. to who they are, what their needs are, and how they can be taken care of. And I'm not saying that a corporate workplace is a daycare, um, but we all have needs as humans. And if we are hired because of our skill set to execute a job for you, we're going to do that with excellence. But it would be nice to work somewhere where they also take into account all aspects of who we are that help our skill sets come alive. So when, mm. when, I, when I talk about the solutions for equity, how we get there, the very first step is listening. And then when I, after listening, it's learn. So what, what have we learned from what we've heard? So after we've mm. listened, what have we learned? And then how do we set solutions based on that? Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a big personality person uh, as far as tests. I, I took my Myers-Briggs. <laughs> I'm an ENTJ. I'm like as far as you could go on extroverts. Oh, so you're an ENTJ. Well, same. I'm an ENTJ as well. Wow. So a very yeah. small percentage of people are ENTJs and only 1% of women are ENTJs, which is wow. kind of crazy. 
And so like, I'm off the charts E, I'm off the charts J, which is kind of funny. I'm right middle of the road uh, for the other two. But, uh, but I say that because even small things like that, if we understood the personalities of the people that we're working with, we can mm. even create environments that help those people thrive. So if someone that we know is a bit more introverted, well, maybe we ask them a few extra questions that we may not ask someone who's extroverted. But again, it gets back to equity versus equality. Because if we were treating every person equal, well, a person that's an extrovert is very different than a person that's an introvert. So maybe that person that's an introvert may need a little extra fill in the blank, whatever that looks like, but maybe in an interview process, maybe they need a little bit of extra, um, you know, coaxing to pull some answers out of them or something like that, that an extroverted person may not. So again, I think that's a big part is equity. And I almost would turn that onto the managers looking into the employee but as far as an employee, let's say they're introverted and they may have a harder time coming to the table with a value proposition, I would just say building confidence helps mm. give voice. Even if your personality isn't exactly extroverted, that mm. you can always build your voice by building some confidence, understanding who you are and what value mm. you bring to the table. Uh, you mm. don't have to be loud and gregarious about it and full of personality, but you of can course. be very direct and subtle and and affirm who you are. And mm. I think that confidence piece can be grown um, from that introvert or extrovert. Wow. What would you say to somebody who listens to this and he says, okay, okay, Ashley, I own a business, um, but I don't care about any of this. All I care about is profitability. I don't care if it's a man or a woman uh, who goes gets to the top. All I care about whoever makes me the most money. So how do you convince somebody like that? And to be honest with you, if I'm, I don't know whether you'd agree with me or not. A lot of the businesses that operate, they operate on this very term. They don't care. I'm not saying they don't care about their employee. They do, obviously, they do care about the employee, but they don't care about the gender of the employee. They say, we don't care. It's just that men tend to come to us and, 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 and we just, I guess, um, it's, a, it's, it's an inherent bias maybe they may have against men, but they, they're unable to see it. How do you make a, a, a corporate person who is a head of a company, for example, see this gender, uh, gender, how should I use the, what, what word should I use? Gender difference. How, yeah. how, what would you say to them? Well, first and foremost, statistics have actually shown that women can help elevate your productivity and profitability. Some of the mm. personality traits that women bring to the table actually enhance your business. Mm. Now, men can be very analytical and just look at it as, okay, I've built a business. This is my end of the year. Oh, and by the way, my husband and I own a business. So I'm speaking to this <laughs> from a, a business owner standpoint as well. Um, but you can very much look at it like, I just need someone to fit this hole because I need to get to, to XYZ executable by the end of fiscal year. Mm. Um, but what you may not realize is if you br brought a woman in, that person could actually bump up that by 15%. We mm. are now finding that more women in leadership positions have elevated the productivity and profitability of companies by 15%. Just by wow. hiring a woman or promoting a woman, which gets back to it's hard to promote from within if we're not retaining. So then we have to build that retention piece. And um, it, and I've even said this too. Um, I, I know I'm because I'm a female and I'm speaking at this from a perception of uh, perspective of a female. Um, 
but this, this kind of is across the board because there's men that have children at home or there's men that are caretakers for their family, mm. you know, so it, it's, it's offering those same kind of equity uh, solutions for both sides. So this isn't just, just for women, but to that very point, the productivity and profitability, uh, having women actually does improve your workplace environment, which is, um, mm. it has been proven and women are also great assets to a company in times of stress because they're able to maintain more flexibility. Women have complementary skill sets to men, which men try to go for more of the high risk options where women mm. actually tend to be more strategic. And women, women also drive the economy. They're the ones that are mm. doing, they have the buying power. So they can often be more attuned to what the consumer may want and what they may mm. need. So women have a great perspective and value add as far as companies not only meeting their bottom line, but exceeding their bottom line. Wow, that is amazing. That is fantastic. Obviously, I didn't know about the statistics myself, to be honest, but uh, wow. I'm, I'm quite uh, pleasantly surprised, to say the least. How should, pe- how should women in particular reach out to you? What kind of things um, or do they need to do? Where do they need to go? If they want to speak to Ashley, if they want to understand a different perspective, if they want to be able to speak to their boss and have some so- sort of confidence, how do they reach out to you? Yes, you can go to my website. It's www.ashleygan.com. And that's A-S-H-L-E-Y-G-A-N-N.com. And right on the front page, there is an opportunity to connect with me. Just fill out the connect form. I usually respond within 24 hours. I would be happy to talk to anybody, to, to share with them my story, to speak to a group, just whatever you need. I am more than happy to get engaged. So just head over to my website and just go from there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. This has been such an enlightening experience. You've opened my eyes up to a lot of possibilities and I am genuinely um, shocked to say the least in, in a more pleasant way uh, that this uh, can, th- this sounds like a very doable uh, project, but it's a very long project. It's a, it's a mission more so than an actual project. And, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint, but we can yeah. get there. Yeah, and I I'm, I know for a fact that if we have people like you advocating for such an essential issue such as this, we uh, future looks a lot better, 110%. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me so much. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. All right, have a good day. Take care. This was Vital Educators Podcast by Ahmed Saki. Hope you enjoyed. Please follow or subscribe for more content every week.